Over the years, I have heard lots of grandparents brag about their grandchildren. And maybe you are a grandparent and you do that. Or maybe you've had that same experience where uh, you went home and, you know, you, the first time you brought the kids home and mom and dad, you know, they, you walked in the door and they went, oh, good to see you. Let me have the baby. You know, and, uh, you know, for the next several hours, they oohed and awed over this absolutely perfect child that has no blemishes, that has no flaws, that will grow up to be a perfect human being, never making a mistake, always being the best on every team, always being the smartest in every class. And if you've had that experience, you, you kind of scratch your head and you wonder, you know, do people making kids now just make them better? Is, is this like, you know, kids 2.0 that's better than, than what we had before? Have we just gotten all the flaws out of the system? Uh, Cindy and I and our daughter Katie is in town for, uh, for three weeks from Hawaii. We're on day 10 of baby Avery. What that means is our younger granddaughter, Avery, has been at our house for the last nine days. Now this is day 10 as uh, her parents and her older sister have enjoyed the beaches of Belize and have had just a wonderful time in an exotic location uh, on vacation uh, certain that grandma and grandpa would absolutely, you know, take this child and take care of her. And I'm talking about her, and she's up there in her aunt's arms right now. Baby Avery, how you doing this morning? Are you happier than when you went to bed last night? <laughs> she's a little upset because she knows where the sermon is going. <laughs> you know, my granddaughter, she is absolutely the most beautiful, the, the smartest, the most intelligent, most delightful child. Uh, but truth be told, uh, this version isn't a whole lot different than the first three versions we had in our house with Nathan and, and Katie and Jordan. Children are children. Uh, they need correction. They need instruction. They're, they're not perfect. You know, when they come out and you hold them and they look so beautiful and so innocent, and then they begin to grow, and then they begin to get a mind of their own, and they begin to be human beings. And it would appear that maybe we're looking at our grandchildren through rose-colored glasses. I actually said no to Avery this week. And I said it in a pretty firm voice. I said, no, Avery. And she looked at me with a look and with eyes that, that basically said, Grandfather, I don't see that you have any ice cream in your hands, so we don't have a whole lot to talk about right now. You go over there and be still, and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And I began to see that this child needs a Savior. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I was thinking, I was going to say to Cindy the other day, we need to get the empty back into nest. <laughs> you know, I'm getting a little bit... <laughs> Getting a little bit on the, on the tired side, and quite frankly, I haven't done that much. Katie's done, done most of the work. But I've always wondered why Paul had to write verses 8 and 9 of, of chapter 2. I've always wondered why Paul had to address this issue of boasting. You know, it's understandable that grandparents boast about their kids. That, that makes sense. Even as parents, we, we, we brag about our own children. But why is it that Paul had to talk to people who have been saved by God's grace about arrogance. Why did he have to, to mention to them that there's no room for bragging, for, uh, for self-conceit within the church? If we're disciples of Jesus, there is a place to boast, but it's not in ourselves. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the following. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's only two verses, I want to read those one more time, it's a short passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. This, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the question that I, that I want us to ponder just for a couple minutes this morning, I know it's warm, uh, and we don't want to sit till, still too long, but I want us to reflect on the last couple of Sundays, and, and I'll give it to you very quickly in review if you haven't been here, just to remind you what we know about disciples of Jesus. We know from the first three verses that disciples of Jesus are folks who were spiritually dead in their transgressions and sins, their willful disobedience against God, and the way they hurt other people in that process, and their lack of always doing the very best and the, and the right thing they should do to help and care for others has led them to being separated from God, separated from their source of spiritual life. And when you're separated from your source of life, you what? You die. If your heart stops beating, your lungs stops working, your brain stops functioning, you're not going to be long for this world. When you're disconnected from the life giver, there aren't a bunch of different life givers, there's only one life giver. And when you choose to be separated from him, you can be physically alive, but you're going to be spiritually dead. And that's the choice that you make. That's the choice that, that I make apart from Christ. And as disciples of Jesus, we know this. The first thing you're confronted with in deciding whether or not you're going to follow Christ is whether or not you embrace the fact that you truly are in need of salvation, that you truly do need grace because you are a sinner. <clears throat> Excuse me. The second thing we know as disciples is that God has used his love and his mercy to make us alive in Christ. We know that God is motivated by grace, by compassion, by kindness, that God looks at his enemies radically different than the way this world looks at enemies. And in fact, the radically different than the way most of us as Christians look at our own enemies. We're called to love our enemies, and I rarely get that one right. And yet God loved those who hated him to the degree that he would give his son that we could be made alive. So we know these two things. We know that, that we deserve God's wrath, but we're under God's mercy and grace through Christ at an extraordinary price of his own son. Therefore, we know, we get it, that we can't take any credit for our salvation. I mentioned this last week, I think, the, or I may have said it in staff meeting, but the notion that God does his part and then I do my part and God reaches down a little ways and I reach up a little way and we meet in the middle, that's nonsense. It's not biblical. It's just flat out wrong. I'm going down for the third time. I'm under the waves. And if God doesn't reach down and pull me up and breathe life into me, I'm a goner. So knowing this, we understand we cannot take credit for our salvation. So why is it that Paul has to write these verses? Well, it's because you and I can be extraordinarily arrogant from time to time. The longer you're a disciple of Jesus, I think the easier it is to forget that it is by grace that we have been saved. I think the longer we, we walk with the Lord, the more we are tempted to ignore our own sin. And it's probably because actually the more you hang around with Jesus, you probably do sin less. There probably is a direct correlation there. The longer you're in his word, the more you spend time with him in prayer, you probably are going to see some of the old habits go away. Scripture says that would be true. But that's because of the power of God in us. And we forget that last little part, and we can become extremely arrogant. So it's important this morning that we heed the reminder that Paul gives. We are saved by grace. He says it very clearly and very succinctly. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
Paul says, remember how you're saved and remember that it's a gift from God. It is not a count of your human effort. There's not a part you play other than when you're made alive, you say, yes, I believe. That's the faith that God gives us. Therefore, there's no room for you and for me to boast. That's why Paul says, he says it very clear. I'm sorry, the, the wind keeps blowing the, my page here. It is by grace you have been saved. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of human effort or human intellect or human will, right? So that no one may boast. Therefore, there is no room because of the gospel for you or for me to have spiritual arrogance in our lives. There's probably other things about which you can, you can take some pride and you, you do your job well. There's, a, there's an appropriate kind of pride. I'm not saying that Christians can never, uh, you know, take joy in what they do or how they do it. And, and there's all, oftentimes to congratulate someone on a job well done. We're not talking about, about that. We're talking about the notion that we're spiritually better than others that we have room to take some credit for the grace in which we stand that would move us to a pretty ugly place when it comes to relationships inside the church and outside the church. An arrogant church should be an oxymoron. <laughs> it simply shouldn't exist. An arrogant church cares only for itself. It has no compassion for the lost or those who are hurting in the community around us. It tends to be a, a place that's filled with gossip and what I call blame shifting, blaming others but ignoring my own sin in a spirit of condemnation, a spirit of pointing out what's wrong in, in everybody else. I don't believe Green Tree Community Church, that, that that kind of description really kind of flows at Green Tree. I don't see that a lot at Green Tree, but every once in a while I see it in my own heart. I see it in my own life, and I'm part of Green Tree, so I'll say this morning it's a Green Tree partially because of me. But I also think some of these things are at Green Tree partially because of you, my brothers and sister disciples of Jesus, because sometimes we mess it up. And sometimes spiritual arrogance becomes part of who we are. So we need to heed Paul's warning and reminder this morning. What I do see at Green Tree and what I pray that I will see even more in your life and in my life is I see a lot of people that I consider very humble disciples of Jesus, people that, that love to care for one another, people that are, that are very intentional and purposeful about sharing Christ in our community and, and, for that matter, around the world. I tend to see people who, who are more patient and kind with others than, than short-tempered. I, I, I see folks who I think their lives could be described as lives of gratitude for what God has done for them. There's a humility and there's a graciousness when dealing with, with uh, one another. Uh, I've often said at Green Tree, one of, the, one of the best things about Green Tree that you don't see very often is our elders uh, in action. And uh, I will tell you that we have been on quite the journey as we've thought about how all this building stuff's supposed to go. And there's a lot of, of conversation and there's a lot of decisions uh, to be made. And we are blessed with a group of, of individuals as elders who, who have strong opinions and are thoughtful opinions and prayerful opinions, and, and they engage in that conversation, and they don't, they don't hold back from it. And we got into uh, one of those conversations. We had three session meetings in a week, about a week and a half ago, to try and nail some things down. And I don't remember which one it was, 
but I remember getting crossways with one of the elders in, in the group setting. We were talking, and, and, uh, and he made a comment that I thought was directed at me, and I made a comment uh, directed back at him, and, and for a couple minutes, we kind of went back and forth. It's kind of the point of the meeting where everybody else kind of goes like this. You know, except not in our, in our session. Guys are like, okay, do you think Rick's is going to get it? Do you think he's going to have it? It's like watching a, watch a tennis match. Because, but I, but I want to put it this way. We're confident in having those conversations because when it's all said and done, we hug each other and we love each other. And if we get it wrong in the, in the middle of the meeting, I've had, we've had times where we've stopped and we've said, the spirit's all wrong here. Let's just pray. We're, we're getting a little bit out of line, not with what we're talking about, but how we're going about doing our business. That's the spirit of humility. That's one of the greatest protections Green Tree has right now. And I want to encourage every elder that's here this morning. And listen, we've got to keep to that. We've got to keep to that. That's one of the things with which God has blessed us is, is an understanding of grace that makes us not uh, unwilling to engage in the tough conversations, but to do it with a spirit of humility and a spirit of gentleness. We're going to move to communion in just about two minutes here. And the reason I wanted to hold off on communion this Sunday was not just because we're all together and we don't get to be together that often, but also because the table reminds us that there's no room for boasting. The table reminds us the, the bread which represents the body of Christ and the cup which represents his blood spilled for us represents that there's no human boasting with disciples of Jesus. Kind of like the movie League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball, right? There's no boasting in discipleship. There's no room for it, except in one case. And in my Bible, it's just one page back to the, to the left. It's the very end of the, of the book that's right before that, Galatians. You don't need to turn, I'm going to read this verse for you. Paul says there actually is a place to brag. There is a place uh, where boasting is completely appropriate. And, it, and it's not, and thinking our grandchildren are perfect, by the way. <laughs> but here it is. But far be it from me, Paul writes, to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says there, there's room for bragging. <laughs> there's room for boasting. And every disciple of Jesus should, should boast in this situation. <laughs> we should boast about Jesus. And I think that isn't just verbal. I think that's not just kind of walking down the street and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? He's, he's an amazing Savior and Lord. <laughs> I think it's a life that is lived intentionally with the purpose of letting people see that apart from Christ, we're, we're nothing, we're nowhere, we're empty, we're lost, we're under God's wrath. But because of Christ, we can brag in his gift of salvation and his mercy and his compassion and live lives that point others to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for uh, Paul's reminder to us. We thank you that the Spirit uh, inspired him to write those words and empowered him to write those words. Father, we are uh, Americans as, as well as disciples of Jesus, and so boasting is part of, of who we are as a, as a culture, as a nation. It's hard for us to, to not be braggadocious. It's hard for us not to be arrogant. And yet, Father, you say very clearly in this word to us this morning, there's no room for that in discipleship. There's no room for us taking credit for that which we had nothing to, to do. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't meet you halfway. 
You took spiritually dead people and made them alive. There is room in our hearts for praise. There's room in our lives for worship. There's room in our lives for for kindness and generosity and giving and sharing and and ministering to one another and, and nurturing each other in our faith. There's room for us to brag greatly about Jesus. So, Father, help us to to heed this reminder this morning. And as we come to your table, Lord Jesus, we pray that it would serve as your reminder to us of the gift that you have given so that we can take great joy and we can boast even that much more in the one who is our Savior and is our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.